my name is Paisley, and I will be reading the verse today. I'm reading from 1 Peter um, chapter 2, um, verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim in the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Great job, Paisley. Thank you for that. Uh, we need to give Raquel a really big hand for VBS for the Adventure Week. Thank you, Raquel. There's a lot of work that went into the Adventure Week, and so she thanked everybody else, but we need to thank her. So please send, if you know Raquel, please send her. If you were involved in Adventure Week VBS or not, please send her your thanks uh, for everything she did, all the hard work. There's a lot of work that went into that. Um, I want to welcome all of our guests. Again, we love having guests and all those online. Our online host today is actually Kyle, so we have a picture of Kyle that we're going to show you, this handsome, somewhat, sometimes handsome guy. Um, <laughs> Go, go ahead and say hi to Kyle if you haven't. Just wish him a, a happy Sunday uh, and uh, share any comments or, or thoughts you have uh, if you're online. And also, if you're blessed by something today, go ahead and hit the like button. Uh, that helps to boost it to more people. So we want to spread uh, what we're doing today. Um, but it's so good to see everyone in person. And we need to thank all of our volunteers today. Let's give them a big hand. Everyone serving on the worship team, in the back, all the greeters. Serving is a really significant thing to do, so thank you for everyone who's involved in that way. We're in the final week of God of Justice. We've been doing this uh, teaching series, four-week teaching series. We started with the ethics of God. Uh, then we did the, the ethics of biology, or we could have called it the ethics of life. Then we did, last week, we did the ethics of force. Today, we're doing, uh, wrapping it up with the ethics of race. If you missed any of these, they're on YouTube, they're on um, iTunes podcast. I would encourage you to catch up with them. The reason we're doing this series is because God in the Bible is called God of justice. That's why we called this teaching series this, is because God in Isaiah is called God of justice. And justice is really important. And we want to learn how to do God's justice on the earth, but there's a lot of disagreement and a lot of confusion about what justice actually is, not just amongst Christians, but in our world at large. And so uh, we've had questions as we've gone through this. Um, you can text in questions. Uh, but also, these are conversations that we have to keep having as a church. And so we welcome all of these conversations. And so I love talking to people about these things and welcome different dialogues. And I want to learn more, and we've all got to learn more. And as we talk about these topics, uh, I've kind of suggested three ground rules for us to follow. The first one is uh, that it's okay to disagree. We've got to be mature enough that we can exist in a church where we say, you know what, you land on this, or you, you're thinking this, or currently this is what I'm thinking, and we can say, I still love you. Secondly, it's really important that we understand we're all learning. And the only way you actually can figure out that the answers to things or get more clarity on things is to talk and dialogue about them, is to share about them, and process them together. So I'm learning, you're learning, we're all learning. No one has special knowledge. Everyone has different experiences, which we can learn from, but no one has special knowledge. We can all figure these things out as we uh, dialogue and talk about them. Uh, but thirdly, um, we need to share grace with each other, and this is the most important one. We do not treat each other like the world does. The world wants to cancel, wants to destroy each other, wants to do whatever, divide. Christians, we don't do that. There's too much hatred and division already in our culture. We need to show the world a different way. And that means treating each other the way that Jesus teaches, treat, treats us Excuse me, uh, with grace. So, so far in God of Justice, what we've learned from the Bible is um, that justice is built upon a moral foundation, and that's why the Bible pairs righteousness and justice together, and that the world's foundation for where the world gets its morals from is different to how Christians get our morals. So, we get ours from the Bible, and so that means our understanding of justice will actually be different from the world's understanding of it. We've defined justice this way, biblically, um, that it is the fair and equal 
retribution to the wrongdoer and the fair and equal restoration to someone who has been wronged. And that God has perfect justice, and he will bring about perfect justice. That God does give states the responsibility to bring about judgments and justice in the world, uh, and that God even works as a means through that through that mechanism, but it is imperfect and fraught with problems. Uh, we've also learned that as individuals, we have an obligation and responsibility to show compassion for those who are, are needy and suffering and for the vulnerable and the weak, um, and that if, if they are oppressed, that it is our duty to do justice, to be a voice for them, to help them in their mistreatment and their oppression. Today, we're going to be looking at the issue of race and racism and the important obligation that we have to live out a Christian ethic of the fair and equal treatment of all people, no matter their appearance. I want to mention two books today that have influenced me uh, to give proper citation to them, uh, actually throughout this series, but also uh, today I'm drawing uh, heavily from a book called Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem. And also I'm drawing heavily from this book. I have three copies of this book that I'm giving away for free today. This book, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, by Thaddeus Williams in all of my research and study and reading. This is the best book that I have come across so far. Forward by John Perkins, none other than John Perkins. And uh, I'm going to have these three copies up here. And if you want one, it's yours. If you can get there first, if you can throw people out of the way and wrestle your way to it, it's yours. If you really wanted one and you, and, and you don't get there first, uh, I'll be happy to buy you another copy. All right? Uh, but I'd encourage you, pick, you know, if you're able to pick one up yourself, really, really, really helpful uh, book on this subject matter. So Paisley read our passage today from 1 Peter, and it starts with this phrase, you are a chosen race. That's the only time the Bible uses the word race to describe a group of people. It uses it, the word race like you're running in a race, uses it in that way, but not to describe a group of people. The idea of race being attached to a descriptor of appearance, like skin color, as one example, is a more modern invention. So when Peter says you're a chosen race, he's basically saying when you're born again, when you put your faith in Jesus and you're spiritually reborn, you become part of the Christian race. You join the Christian race. You're, you're a holy nation. You're a people you now belong to God. So therefore, all other identities that you had are now subservient to that main identity that defines who you are. And then Peter says, we're sojourners and we're exiles. This world is not our home. So if you feel, feel like you don't fit in, you feel like you don't belong, welcome to the club. This is the club where you don't, church is not a club, that's a bad word for it. Church, this is the, the group of people where you identify, you say, yeah, we don't belong. We're misfits in the world. We don't belong. We're, we're, we're estranged from the world because we believe things that are very contrary to what the world believes. And that happens in all cultures. It's, you know, we feel it, you feel it most strongly in whatever culture you live in. Uh, but Christians throughout the ages and throughout different countries feel this way. They feel, we're sojourners, we're exiles, we don't belong here. And the Apostle Peter knows it's really tempting to want to place your identity in the flesh. And so he says, you know, don't give in to like the passions of the flesh. They wage war against your soul. And it's not just the carnal desires of the flesh, but it's also the um, identities of the flesh, the identities that the world wants to put on us, that we have to actually resist and say, no, I've got this main identity from Jesus. And so Peter is trying to help us here to prepare for Christian prejudice. And he says, no matter, you, know, you live amongst the Gentiles, that means other nations, so you're going to live with, amongst all these other people groups. You have to live with good conduct. You have to live rightly. You have to, to, to behave in such a way that doesn't matter what people group surrounds you, doesn't matter what languages you hear, what color of people you see, what features they have, it doesn't matter. You have to conduct yourself exactly the same way with consistency, doing what is right, living morally, doing good work, so that when they accuse you of evil, they'll actually realize this accusation doesn't stand because there's no, there's no evidence, no way to prove it because of your good conduct. It's, it's astonishing to me that people have throughout the ages a time, different times and more, you know, different times in history, use the Bible to justify racism. Because could these verses be any less racist? What it's describing here, how it's describing it, it's shocking to me. One of the most egregious examples of this comes from Genesis chapter 9, that has been used by people in, in history to justify racism. And it's, it's what people refer to as the curse of Ham. 
So people will say, okay, Ham is one of the, not a Ham, Ham is the name of a person, one of the sons of Noah. And the idea is that something shameful happened, and so as a result, Ham and his descendants were cursed. And this is what some people made up. They said, well, oh, the curse is he made them black. And then those descendants migrated to Africa and populated Africa. And because they did that and they populated Africa and they were cursed, it's now justifiable to enslave them. What an offensive idea. And I'm so, I'm so sorry to all people of color who have been affected by this egregious idea, this idea that's completely, I mean, it's completely made up. They're just adding stuff. I mean, it's not even hinted at. And it's technically wrong because the descendants of Ham who were cursed actually didn't migrate to, to Africa. Other sons of Ham did, but not these ones. The ones that were cursed actually went somewhere else. So it's technically wrong, but it, way worse than that, it's morally wrong. And this false teaching and others like it, there's just one, of, one example, but there's other ways that people have twisted God's word. They've pinned racism on God and on the Bible and justified oppression and mistreatment for generations that's profoundly affected all kinds of people. And it's so, it's so blatantly wrong. I mean, we look at that, we hear something like that, and we're like, that's insane. Like, it's so obviously wrong to us, but so many people believed it. And there might be people today that actually still... Some, there might be some strange backwards people in some isolated place that still believe this. Wouldn't surprise me because people believe ridiculous things. You can always get a certain percentage of the population to believe anything insane. Even though it was so blatantly wrong, people, many people believed it. And it's a lesson, it's a reminder to us that people will always try and force or sneak in, even if it's overtly like this or even subtly, they'll try and sneak in ideologies into the Bible that don't fit. That's why you have to be sharp theologically to resist it and to, to, to unpack it and to be able to stand against it and reject it and say, no, that's not, that doesn't fit. That's not what it's saying. It's incorrect. That's wrong. So what does the Bible say about race and racism? Well, it talks about different groups of people, different regions, different cultures, and uh, different languages. And it talks about hatred between those groups and individuals from those groups. There's different stories of that, of people showing prejudice and hatred towards each other from different nationalities and groups. But the Bible does not have a category of racial prejudice, like as we think of race, doesn't exist. And a big reason for that is that racial categorization was created much later on. So the Bible taught, you know, we would call it xenophobia, right? Hatred of the foreigner. So the Bible has very clear examples of tons of xenophobia happening, hatred of the foreigner. But there's only two examples I could find in the Bible where it actually even directly addresses skin color. So the first one, is in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 13, verse 23. This is a rhetorical question that God asks through the prophet Jeremiah. It says, uh, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Now, this is not a value statement about skin color. This is, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. And the, the point of it is, um, the point of it is to bring about the absurdity of how, how, can you, how, can, how can a leopard, you know, God's not given a leopard the ability to change its spots. He's not given human beings really the ability to change their pigment. Or even if people have bleached their skin, that doesn't carry on to the next generation. You're still going to carry on your, uh, your skin color to your, your children. And so it's saying that you cannot become something that you are not. That God has designed the leopard with its spots because he wanted it that way. And God's designed people with the skin color he's given them because he wants them that way. Actually, it's very positive in the, af in the affirmation of how God has designed us to be. The, the, the next one that I found, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would love to know if there's more references in the Bible that specifically talk about skin color. I could only find two, and the second one may not even count. It's uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now, Later on, she says that her, her dark complexion is because she had too much sun exposure, right? So it's not talking about black skin. It's just talking about very tanned skin. And, but she, she asserts her, her beauty nonetheless. The point is that she's darker than her friends. And she could have been made fun of because, oh, she looks different to her friends. But she asserts her own beauty. And she's the main character in one of the most popular books in the Bible. So again, it's portrayed very positively. So if the Bible doesn't have an understanding of what we would call race. Where does it come from? Where does the idea of race come from? 
I would say it arose, it existed slightly before, a little bit before colonization, but it really was used and weaponized during the efforts of colonization to mistreat and abuse and enslave, and in some cases massacre, indigenous peoples. Because here's, here's the theory, here's, here's how the thinking goes. If you can categorize some human beings as being subhuman, then you can excuse any dignity that you owe them, any value that you would put upon them, any rights that you would assign to them. You can essentially ignore all of that because of the way you've categorized people. So the very idea of race was created and used by racists. Now later on, of course, this more fuel was added to the fire of this because then ideas like Darwinian evolution, these ideas came along that then people latched onto to say, well, you can clearly see that some groups of people are more evolved than others. Some are more animalistic and others are more evolved and more enlightened. Again, offensive ideas. You have to ask yourself, how many races are there? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How many races are there? You know, there's no consensus on this answer. And the reason there's no consensus is because it's a phony categorization invented by racists to dehumanize and to brutalize indigenous peoples. Because if you, if you, people will say, well, there's like three or four main races, right? So I'll add them up and say, well, yeah, there's you know, black and white and Asian and we well, don't forget about Native Americans and well, there's indigenous Hawaiians and or Aborigines in, in Australia and then you start looking at different Asian countries and you're like, well, there's different islands where people have been isolated from each other for long periods of time and then different parts of Europe are disconnected as well. And like, it, it gets very problematic. People cannot agree on a number, which is something is scientific fact and is, a, is, a, is something that you can say for certain is determined, you would better put a finite number on it. People sometimes look at skull like types and say, well, if you look at the different skull types, but there's no agreement on this stuff. There's no agreement on it. It's a phony category made up. The Bible does not want us to think in racial categories. It doesn't want us to do it. I'm going to show you two verses that are going to blow your brains out that are so simple. So simple. The words of Jesus. The words, Matt, uh, John, excuse me, John chapter 7, verse 24 Jesus says this, he says, do not judge by appearances. So simple. So much confusion in our world, we need the remedy of Jesus here. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment, which means it's wrong judgment to judge by appearances. So as it relates to all things, appearance-wise, but especially skin color, it's wrong to judge by skin color. You've got to go deeper than that. The Bible does not want us to think in racial categories. The other verse here is Acts chapter 17, verse 26, says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind. Doesn't matter, black, brown, white, yellow, red, no matter what color, we all come, we have the same ancestry. This is, the, this, is the te this is the true teaching of the Bible throughout the ages. These verses weren't added recently. They weren't reinterpreted recently. They weren't changed recently to, up, to be updated, to be more progressive or more advanced. This is the age-old teaching of the Bible. Do not judge by appearances, and we're all descended from the same people. We're all of the same heritage. We're all siblings, which is weird when you think about marrying other people, but don't worry about that. It's like a Michael Scott reference. I know, I know. It's like the only Michael Scott reference I know. You know, all world religions, all major world religions agree on this point. That we're descended from a common ancestry. And scientists agree on this too. Actually, some scientists have claimed that they can trace the genetic lineage back to two people. Sounds familiar. And even scientists will say that the origin of the human race was Africa, right? I'm sure you've heard this. And I, I'm almost certain, fact check me on this, if I'm wrong on this, I apologize if I'm wrong on this, but I believe this is true to say that even the whitest of white people having a genetic test, a lineage test, it would show, even, even if it's the smallest fraction, it would show African lineage. I mean, that, just knowing that transforms the cultural conversation that we're all having right now, doesn't it? God put the genetic potential for all the variety of humans that we have today 
into the first people. The first two people they made, but the full genetic potential for all the humans that would be created as their offspring into the first two people. And because of this reason, some have suggested that Adam and Eve, that one may have been black and one may have been white. Can't prove it, don't know, don't have a photograph, wasn't there. But the reason people say that is because, for this reason, genetic reason, that a child, uh, that a child there, how do I put this? That a child's skin color can only be as dark as their darkest parent. And so you can't start with like the mid-range of skin tone and then hope that from there you get different outcomes. You have to start with the darkest color from the very beginning for the trait to carry on through the lineage. So I think that Christians, I mean, you're going to think I'm crazy for saying this. Maybe I'm too much of an idealist. I don't know. I think we need to abandon the categorization of race because it was created by racists used, weaponized during colonization to degrade and dehumanize and to abuse people. Now, that doesn't mean there's not variety and diversity amongst us. Of course there is. But when I look around the human race, you know what I see? You know what? We've all got two eyes, two ears, mouth, nose, head, neck, shoulders, arms, torso, legs, toes, big toe, little toe, feet. Some of us have little strange indents under our noses like I do. There's variety, but the Bible does not have skin-based racial categorizations in it. They don't exist. They don't exist. Now, we, we therefore, it's not to deny that we don't have prejudice based on appearance. Of course we do. But what I'm saying is if race is a phony category, then actually racism as a term kind of doesn't make sense, does it? I'm not saying there isn't prejudice. So actually, a term that kind of makes sense to me is if uh, the word colorism, if you've heard of the word colorism. So it, within the black community itself, if there's prejudice against darker or lighter, that that's called colorism, all right? That seems like that actually fits as a description of what the prejudice is actually about. It's, it's pure, exactly based on that. But the word racism is problematic because race is a phony made-up category by racists. There are not different races. It is ignorant to lump all Asians together. It's ignorant to lump all blacks together. It's ignorant to lump all whites together. I had a black friend who said to me once, said, please never ask me the black opinion on something. It's like, how am I supposed to know what all other black people think? We're all different. Now, the word race, obviously, has been used in different ways at different times throughout history. Some ancient history, you know, the way it's mainly used, especially during biblical times and other, uh, even more recent times, is as references to um, a race of bishops. See, this, these ideas sound foreign to us because we use it so differently. Or like a race of women. But it was created before, slightly before colonization. And it was used for racist reasons, to divide people, to oppress people, to mistreat people. So to accept the label, to, for me to believe that I'm of a different race to other human beings, or for you to believe that you're of a different race, of a different species, a subspecies to different human beings, is to accept the identity that supremacists want to put on us. It's to accept their categories, to live by their rules, to live by the designation that they want to have, which causes more division and more hatred and more harm. Because the more you can divide people and say, well, there's different races, we're all so different to each other. The more you do that, the more you can point out, the more you can focus on the subtle differences, the variety between people, the more you can dehumanize and hate people. It's not Christian, it is not biblical, and it's not even scientific. The Human Genome Project, after they'd mapped out human DNA, they said this, DNA studies do not indicate that separate classifiable subspecies, races, exist within modern humans. While different genes or physical traits such as skin or hair color can be identified between individuals, no consistent patterns of genes across the human genome exist to distinguish one race from another. There is also no genetic basis for division of human ethnicity. I'm just going to say it because it's amusing, but just follow the science. Follow the science on it. The only people that want to believe in inferior or superior categories are supremacists, white supremacists, black supremacists, Asian supremacists, any kind of a supremacist. And you know what? I don't want to be brainwashed by supremacists. 
I want to believe the words of Jesus where he says, do not judge by appearance. Those are the words I want to live my life by. And that's what I urge all of us to live our lives by. Do not judge by appearances. Every nation of man came from one man. We all have the same parents, which means we're all of the same race. We are one race. I know this to be more true than anything else that is true. That when I was born, I was born into the human race. And there came a day in my life that I was born again. And when I was born again, I was born into the Christian race. Which means if you're born again, you believe in Jesus, that means I am your brother. And there is no division between us. This is more true than any of the the stuff that the world, the, the labels and the fleshly identities that the world wants to put on us. This is what is true. Now, look, I want to be clear. I'm not saying, and I don't want to diminish, the prejudice that people of color have experienced. I'm not suggesting that one bit. That has to be seen and validated. All forms of prejudice and oppression, no matter who it's towards, has to be seen, has to be validated, has to be understood, can't be silenced or ignored. We have to see it for what it is. I also believe that as Christians, we have to lead the culture in this, and we have to start telling people, I see that, and I hate that, and I stand against all of that, and against it. I reject it. Our church rejects all of that. But I also reject the categorization of race, because it was created by racists to divide us. And I don't want to give myself, I only believe there's one human race. Again, I am not saying that there's not different cultures, that there's not different languages and different customs amongst people. And those things need to be celebrated and enjoyed. Some cultures, every culture has good things about it and every culture has bad things about it. There's no supreme culture. But we have to be careful that we don't tie our appearance too closely to our culture for this reason that any person of any appearance can belong to any culture or pick up any custom, celebrate any kind of practice of any culture. And cultures change over time. So if we too closely tie our appearance to the culture that we live in right now, if we were to travel in a time machine back in time and go to a previous version of our culture, we might feel like we don't fit in because cultures change over time. We might look the same, but we might say, this isn't my culture. Actually, this is one area that Christians have agreement and alignment with, uh, with critical race theorists, actually. So critical race theory, or CRT for short, one of the, uh, one of the, the big points of that is that uh, race is a social construct. And this is an area of agreement. The, the Bible is basically clear on this, that race is a phony, made-up category. It's a socially constructed idea that's not rooted in anything scientific or anything even theological. And so the ethics of race is this. The ethics of race is this. It, it is immoral to judge people as being subcategories when God has not created any subcategories. Now, in all of the process I've been going through, I've been trying to read and learn and listen and understand these issues as much as I can. And obviously, I'm only one person. I'm limited in my understanding and my experience. I've been told by a couple of people, um, Matt, do more research. You need to do more research. I've also been told, don't, I can't expect people of color to educate me on these things. So it's a little tricky to balance those two things out. But I've been trying to listen to voices, watch things, listen to things, read things. I'm going to show you a little list here of things I've been reading. Some I'd recommend, some I would not. But I'm happy to talk more about it. I've read more than this, but these are some of the books I've read over the last year and a half. Read the, someone recommended The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, Shame by Shelby Steele, Woke Church by Eric Mason, The Third Option by Miles McPherson. Some of you will recognize these because you recommended them to me. Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell, Race Matters by Cornel West. I reread Generous Justice by Tim Keller, already had read that one. I read The War on Cops by Heather MacDonald. I read Biblical Justice by Chris Marshall. I read Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth by Thaddeus Williams, which is the book I'm giving out today. The biggest voice, though, I'd say, that actually has influenced me the most as I've been trying to understand and learn about the, really all the cultural tension that we're facing right now on these issues, but one of the biggest voices, I shouldn't say the biggest, it's one of the biggest voices, uh, is a guy by the name of Coleman Hughes. He's not a believer, but I found him, to, he has a podcast and a YouTube channel, and 
his approach to these issues, and he's changed his position over time on this. And I want to recommend this episode, actually came out almost exactly a year ago now, um, July 20th, 2020. So it was almost exactly one year ago today. Um, I want to encourage you this week to Google Coleman Hughes, Is Black Lives Matter Right? It's 42 minutes and 53 seconds that you'll never get back if you listen to it. You can speed it up so you can listen to it faster. Um, but I would urge you that there's some really helpful, insightful, balanced commentary and insights into some of the tensions and issues that we're facing in our culture today. One of the things I've learned is that everyone's talking about critical race theory. Can we agree on that? Everyone's talking about critical race theory, CRT. If you've been living under a rock, maybe you haven't heard about this. So I think we need to address it. We have not addressed it as a church. We do need to. Some will say, it's a distraction, Matt. Don't talk about it. It's just a complete distraction. I agree. I actually agree with that point. What I, I would rather be talking about anything else than talking about critical race theory. I'd rather be talking about all kinds of great things in the Bible that we have been talking about rather than critical race theory. But it's become such a flashpoint, such a contentious issue in our culture, we have to address it. One of the upsides to critical race theory, or CRT for short, is that it does remind us, if we need reminding, and hopefully we don't need reminding, but it does remind us not to whitewash the things of the past, the hatred and prejudice of the past, to face up to the, 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 the worst aspects of the history of our country, and personal history as well, and history of the world. We have to face up to that. One of, the, one of the worst things about our history as a country, I think we could all agree, is our participation, and all countries have participated in some form of this, uh, but we can't ignore our country's participation in the African slave trade as one of the biggest black spots in our history. I think the second worst thing that our country ever did was to not pay reparations at the time of emancipation. It's pretty common for countries who have mistreated other people groups to pay reparations. That's actually pretty standard practice of justice. The problem is that it... So we should celebrate emancipation. What a great thing, giving freedom. What a great a victory. But we, we have to understand it's an, it was an incomplete act of justice. Because as we've talked about justice throughout this series, what we've come to discover is that if you, don't, if you don't have any kind of recompense, then that's also an act of injustice. If it's too much, it's an injustice. If it's too little, it's an injustice. And so, yes, emancipation was wonderful. Yes, that was the right moral thing to do. And yes, that's progress. But not paying reparations at the time was another act that was wrong. And the problem is, the more time that goes on from that, the less likely it is to happen the less practical it becomes, and it introduces other moral concerns that other people have about doing it. And so what that means for, not for, I'm sure it's everyone, people have feel different about it, but I'm sure for lots of Af people of African descent from, who descended from the African slave trade living in America, that there's this giant historical injustice that was never resolved, that's just hanging, hanging there, and probably in all seriousness, probably won't be resolved. Probably won't be. That's my daughter that just burped, by the way. Sorry about that. Some comedic human light relief there. It probably won't be resolved. And I think one of the things that gets missed, you know, we, we, in our culture, we, we're stuck in the, the, the extremes of different views, just shouting each other, and we miss the, the, the humanity of these things and the, the emotions that, that people legitimately have over it. We, and we're, unfortunately, we're more divided than ever. So as it, you know, I think that when critical race theory kind of popped up on the scene, like, you know, what was it? It's in the last like, year or two, right? People have been talking about this. Um, it's been around a lot longer than that, of course, but it wasn't mainstreamed. And I think once it started getting mainstreamed, I think it gave a glimmer of hope to some minorities and some you know, people who care about discrimination, which I hope we all care about discrimination, but I think it gave a, a bit of a, a beacon of hope of like, okay, now the culture's going to have to reckon with this. Now there's language to describe how we're feeling about this. And I think that gave a glimmer of hope, but the, 
Unfortunately, the strong reaction push against it just reinforces the message that nobody cares. It reinforces the message that nobody cares of this big giant injustice in the past that was partially resolved but not properly resolved still lingers and people still feel it. And just recognizing that is a huge step. Just recognizing that is a huge step. But we're, we're, we're divided more than ever about this and we're missing each other in the conversation of it. So, so certain states have now banned critical race theory from being taught in schools. Some states are they're teaching it but under a different name. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention right now. We're not Southern Baptists. I don't know much about the Southern Baptists, but the Southern Baptist Convention is being torn apart, fracturing right now, over, in large part to do with critical race theory. Parents across our country are rising up about critical race theory. Homeschooling is becoming more and more popular, partly because of the pandemic, but also in part because of CRT. Christians have been divided over this issue. Churches have split over this issue. Some people said... Well, it's just a scapegoat. It's just in the culture, we're just using it as a scapegoat. We're just piling all of our frustrations and all of our attacks just on this, just to like sidetrack or just get around the real issues. And that could be happening in some instances. And so what, a couple of things I've heard is people saying things like, well, critical race theory is not really being taught in schools. It's just being taught in the, it's been, always been taught for a long time, ever since it was developed in higher education and legal system, in legal schools, excuse me. And it's just there. It's not really in the school system for younger kids. That's not happening. The other thing that people will say is um, that, well, it's not really, it, all, all that CRT is, it's just teaching people the brutal history that we have. It's just being honest about the worst aspects of our history. And I think we should do that, by the way. I think we have to be as transparent as possible. As an outsider to America, someone coming in from another country and living here for a long time now, America is, I think, probably comparatively more more honest about its history than most countries are. Most countries hide their history. Most countries cover them up and they only want to tell the good versions, right, of their history. America is decent at talking about its history, but if you need a reminder to, to face the, the, the worst parts of it, then CRT is certainly offering that. So that might be an upside to it. But I think the problem is that the idea it's not being taught in schools or that it's only talking about the brutal aspects of history are not true, unfortunately. The more I've looked into this, that is not true, which is part of what's causing a lot of the division. So there was a report that came out recently uh, that said there was at least 24 public schools that were teaching from this, this particular book, and there was other curriculum that were discovered as well. This book called Not My Idea by Anastasia Higging, Higginbotham. I think that's how you say that name. And in this book, it depicts, so this is being taught to kids, young kids in public school systems. It depicts a demonic figure offering the main character a contract binding them to whiteness. Obviously, the idea of whiteness comes from critical race theory. Here's my view, my response to this as a Christian. Because this is where we miss each other. Because we have to better analyze this, we have to better think about this deliberately and try to understand what is it exactly? What, what does it mean? Where is it showing itself? Is it as everyone's characterizing it? And it's, it's hard to cut through all the noise. There's a lot of noise out there. You see stuff on social media. You hear headlines. You read articles. You watch videos. You hear different things, and you're like, what should I believe? It's kind of confusing. I think one of the things that we miss each other on is if there is any resistance to critical race theory, that communicates to a lot of people. We don't care about racial issues. We don't care about racial justice. We don't care about these kind of prejudices. So as Christians, we have to do everything in our power to make sure that we communicate, we care about those issues. That's what we have to do. That's, what, that's my job. That's our jobs. We have to communicate that. We care about those issues. We also have to do this. We have to have thoughtful dialogue and a thoughtful response to say, you know what? We don't think that critical race theory is exactly what some people think it is. That in fact, it's actually a bit of a bitter pill to swallow. Let me explain my current thinking on this. I'm happy to be persuaded. I'm always open to persuasion. Happy to have my mind changed on this. I've tried to build bridges where I can. I've tried to be conciliatorial where I can and tried to point out some positives and some areas of alignment where I can. I think Christians always have to do it. That's the model. That's the grace of Jesus informing our response, helping us to build bridges, helping us to build unity, to do all of that. But I do think that critical race theory, CRT, it is a bit of a bitter pill to swallow. And there are some things that 
we might have to swallow with it that we would say, we can't, we can't accept that. We just can't accept that. So one of the core central tenets of critical race theory is this idea, and this is an oversimplification, but one of the problems as you read, and I've been trying to listen and read as much as possible, one of the problems with this is that the language that's used is very confusing, and the meanings of terms change a lot. So it's actually, it feels a bit slippery at times. So actually, like, is it this or is it this? That's one of the challenges with it, but in all of the research and understanding, one of the core central ideas of critical race theory is to divide the world into oppressors and oppressed. So that's where the idea of whiteness comes from. So the term whiteness is not a positive term. It's not a neutral term. It's a negative term. It's a term being labeled, it comes from, directly from critical race theory, that, that basically says white people are somehow inherently oppressive. The Bible, what does the Bible tell us? It tells us to honor everyone. It tells us to not judge by appearances. Critical race theory, on the other hand, is dishonoring. Aspects of it are dishonoring, and it wants us to judge by appearances. Anytime we assign a negative trait to somebody based on their skin color, we have a word for that, don't we? We already have a word for it. Maybe we need more words, because maybe the word racism doesn't fit, because race is a fake, fake, phony category. Maybe it's skinism or pigmentism or lookism or it's something, some kind of ism. But I want to be really clear on this. Critical race theory itself is racist at its core, and I think Christians have to reject it. We have to reject it. You're free to disagree. We have to reject it without communicating that we don't care about the actual issues of racial prejudice. Do you see the balance there? This is, this is the nuanced conversation that our culture is incapable of having right now. There's so much more I want to talk about. Time does not permit. I want to get into more aspects of critical race theory and systemic racism, which that idea comes from critical race theory as well, and all these different subjects. I want to get into these more, but I'm hoping that we can find time to talk more in depth about these issues. But, and I've tried to say this one as the weeks have gone on, but I want to get this across really clearly. I do think that it's an injustice to take the sins of past generations and put them on current generations. I think that is an injustice. I don't think the Bible allows us to do that. However, that doesn't mean that as Christians, we can't voluntarily take on the burden and say, I want to be part of the solution, that I want to fight against injustice. I want to fight against prejudice. I want to fight against hatred towards different people based on their appearance. We have to fight that fight. I think there's three responses that we need to have. Three responses. The first one is that we need to identify and repent of our own partiality, which means treating people differently based on their appearance or other things, and any, any disrespect or any, any hatred that we would have, whether it's pigmentism or skinism or lookism. Lookism is actually a word. I looked it up. Lookism is actually a real word. But it, it's more to do with prejudice about standards of beauty. But it can be used to define just prejudice based on appearance, but it specifically means about appearance of beauty. So lookism is a word. Colorism, um, you know, yeah, if there's, any, if there's any within the black community, if there's any prejudice against different shades, we've got to repent. Whatever it is, whatever we, if we call it racism, whatever we call it, we've got to Repent. We've got to, because it's so easy to get caught up in these big arguments, right? These big cultural divides that we've got and get caught up in the abstract of this and this or this person, this, and get caught up in all those things. And what we miss is we miss there's hatred in my heart. There's prejudice in my heart. There's, there's attitudes of partiality in my heart where I treat different people differently. And I have to come back to the words of Jesus where Jesus says, do not judge by appearances. I need to obey those words. Those words define my life. I do not judge by appearances. Second thing we need to do, and I honestly mean this, and this might be, I don't know, I'm, I'm an optimist at sometimes and a bit of a dreamer sometimes, and I think that Christians can lead the culture in rejecting the label and the categorization of race. How we do it matters. How we do it. In no sense, if we have the conversation with anyone, if I'm talking to anyone, and I say, you know what, I, I kind of reject the category of race. It's unscientific. And it was created and used by racists during colonization, to mistreat, abuse, and massacre indigenous peoples to justify them being categorized as subhuman people so they could have no dignity, worth, and value, and rights. 
and I do not want to be brainwashed and be labeled by supremacists. So therefore, on that basis, I reject it. If we do that, if you're brave enough to join me in this, in this great challenge that I'm presenting to us today to reject the category of race, if, you, if you're willing to do that, what we can never, ever do, like I've already mentioned, is ignore the prejudice and the hatred that people have faced. You have to fully enter into that and not try and understand it as much as possible, even if you haven't experienced anything like it yourself. I think the third response we've got to have is this. We, have, we must talk in a way that advances the conversation. I've noticed this. This is really interesting to me. I've noticed. I've had lots of conversations with people that have gone really well. And it's been really good dialogue. Listening, learning, understanding. I've learned things. Other people have learned things. And it's been really, really helpful, really insightful. And I feel closer to those people. There's been a few times where it's gone off the rails. And part of that is, I'm trying to notice in myself and in other people, what stops a conversation from going forward? What was said or done? And sometimes there are manipulations that come, sometimes there's guilt that comes in, sometimes there's name-calling that comes in, sometimes there's um, different, different things that we do. Maybe we're being too melodramatic about things. Maybe we're being um, hyperbolic about things in an unhelpful way, and we're shutting down the conversation, and that's always a mistake to do that. I understand these are emotional things, and if we lose control of ourselves, we've got to own that and apologize for that. But we have to talk about these things in a way that advances the conversation, that keeps us all learning rather than shuts it down. So if you've noticed a conversation that ended and you think, well, it ended, I had the last word and I won the point, probably that was a loss. Probably that was a loss. We've got to talk about it in a way that advances the conversation because sometimes we can say things that are so absolute. We say, make this absolute statement. We know this to be a fact and there's no convincing, there's no talking, there's no understanding that can happen beyond that point. Let me finish with this. Let me wrap up with this. Let's come back to our main passage today. We've got to come back to this in verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. We read it. It says, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look, we haven't talked much in this series about the, the relationship between mercy and justice. Because justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is about forgiveness. Mercy is about releasing people from the burden. Now, as, as we said before, that doesn't mean in the court system, if somebody's done something illegal, they still might face a punishment or consequence for that. But even in that system, there can be moments of mercy that are given based on different situations. But here's what we've got to understand about mercy is. See, you can want all the justice in the world. You can want there to be fair retribution. You can want there to be adequate punishment and a adequate recompense and restoration, and you can want that, but what you've got to realize is even if that happens perfectly in a way that you think is fair, the only way to get healing from the pain that was inflicted on you is to show mercy. It's the only way. It's the only way, because mercy is forgiveness. Mercy is forgiveness. It's, and, and most of the time, true justice doesn't happen. It's very rare to actually have true, that's why God's justice is perfect. In the human system, it's so flawed, so inadequate. Some, and we celebrate it when we see it. We've got to celebrate it when we see it. But, when we don't, but we're always perplexed and frustrated and, and, and angry when we don't see it. But to show mercy means that we, means we understand why Jesus came. Because Jesus came because we hated God. We, had, we, had, we were goddess. We had godism. Do you get what I'm saying? We hated God. We were prejudiced against God. That's what, that's what we were doing towards God. We hate before we, we, we... See, people might think, well, I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. But, but when you understand the Bible and you understand what God demands of you and how God's designed you and what God, how God wants you to live, you realize you always rebel against it because you're like, no, I don't want to live there. My nature has fallen. And so I want to resist the holiness and the righteousness and the, the ways of God. I want to resist those things. And we hate God. And even though we hated him, what did he do? He showed us mercy. He showed us mercy. And if we don't understand that, then we'll never better show mercy to those who hate us and those who are prejudiced against us and forgive them. But one, if we know the love of God and the grace of Jesus, and what's, what is grace? So grace is a step beyond mercy. Mercy is not getting the consequence of what you deserve, and grace is then being given something in addition, receiving something extra. 
And that's the gift. Not only were we forgiven of the consequence of our sin, but we were given the righteousness of Jesus. We were given the righteousness of Jesus, that God looks at us and he's so happy with us. You know, we sang that song earlier on, I'm a child of God. You know what? Because of this message today, I've been, this has been weighing on me a lot, this message. Maybe I didn't get it right. Maybe I missed some things. Maybe it could be better. It could be better. That's the problem with any sermon you preach. Instantly, it could already be better. We were singing the song, I'm a child of God. And I have never thought about it this way before, but I felt overwhelmed by the fact that I was singing that song with people who are completely different to me. All the varieties of human beings. We're, we're one race, but people of, of different skin colors, different features, different ethnicities, different languages maybe, different backgrounds, and we're all singing, I'm a child of God. I was like, that is a, what a beautiful thing. I'd never thought about it like that before. I don't know why, because I'm, I'm a dummy probably. <laughs> Let's have the band come up. We need to celebrate Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. We need to respond to Jesus. We need to give ourselves. We need to submit ourselves to the words of Jesus where he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment, which is to not judge by appearances and to understand that from one man, God made all the people of earth. This is the great message that Jesus came to, 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 to drum home to us, that we are fallen and broken and divisive without him, that we hurt and harm each other. You know, we're prejudiced based on skin and features and how we look. We're prejudiced on that a lot. That's, that our history is full of that. And that, unfortunately, the sad news is that's never fully going to go away. That's the sad news. It won't fully go away because we're all fallen, broken people. The world will persist in that. But the good news of Jesus is once we come into his family, all those barriers are broken down. We're forgiven. We're set free. This is, this is why it's called good news. It's not bad news. It's really, it's the best news you could ever hear. All the barriers between us and God and between us and each other are broken down in Jesus. So let's celebrate that today. Can we celebrate that today? Let's respond. If you want to get more involved at Trinity, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to get baptized, if you want to serve, if you want to take a next step, you need prayer today, go ahead and do what Raquel said, which is to text the word enjoy to 94,000 and you can respond that way.